Welcome to Job Seekers Radio. I'm Andrew. And I'm Scott. This is a production meant to provide meaningful support to find great careers faster. Whether you're working or not. Today on Job Seekers Radio, we're actually answering a plethora of questions from Reddit. At least four or five, whatever we have time for. (laughs) That's right. And so we often find that there's a lot of great content and support on Reddit as a platform so that you can get uh, farther along in your career. Right. There are more than five questions on Reddit, but we've chosen a few to address today. There will be some others in the future, but this is a, a good place to start. The The first one that we're going to uh, address here is from Nico Ghost, who wrote, is it a bad idea to quit a job over an abusive boss? And the backstory is, I've been working at this job for over five months now, and it was fun, but lately my boss has been meaner and meaner to me. Like, she'll tell me I'm worthless one minute and then tell me I'm doing a great job the next, and co-workers have been telling me that she talks about me behind my back saying I do nothing while I'm in the middle of doing something. It's gotten so bad that other co-workers are trying to protect me as best they can. I really don't want to quit as I love the job itself, but my boss makes me want to cry every day and it's hard to find jobs in my area. Anyway, so should I stick it out or would it be better to move on and find a new job? Yes. Always be looking for a new job. That's great advice. Um, Those of us who have been through sales for any length of time in our careers know that a good salesman never stops looking. Now, with that said, the abuse needs to stop. And if you have not yet had a conversation about how you feel about these interactions, that would be the first step. And a lot of people are intimidated or they feel like they they can't have that conversation because they don't know how to give that kind of feedback without it seeming like an accusation. Well, and they might be afraid of getting fired. Exactly. And so you go into any these, kind of retaliation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder either. Right. Because in an in an environment where you want to build trust with your coworkers, you don't want the boss hamstringing you. You also don't want your coworkers to do all the work for you because that is going to do you know it's going to sure. impact your confidence. I always recommend people ask permission, meaning whenever you have an observation you're making about a superior or somebody that you don't feel comfortable having a conversation with, hey, Scott, you know, would it be okay if I share something with you I think might be helpful for both of us to make our career, our, our work load here better? Yeah. I think that's a great idea because now you're actively engaging them before you talk about what's difficult. By by doing so, you're starting the conversation with a yes. If they say, no, I don't have time, then bring it up later. But the idea is you do want to engage them with them making the first choice to say yes. Um, at that point, I usually go with the SBI model for giving feedback, and that is situation behavior impact. Basically, what you do is you set up the the feedback by putting it in a situation. Like if something has happened with your boss where she has made this comment that you're worthless. This morning, when we were talking, and then you've, you've put it in the situation, you then provide observable behavior. You said... I was worthless. Now, you don't want to, to think for them by saying you were angry or you're, you're interpreting their just, behavior. Just the facts. Just the facts. Just share the facts. Exactly. So the situation, this morning when we were talking, you said I was worthless. 
And then the third step is giving the impact because no one can argue with the feelings that you had or the impact that it had on you because you're only speaking for yourself. So this morning when we were talking, you said I was worthless. That really undermined my confidence in my work. Now, she can't argue with that. She might say, oh, you shouldn't have. That, that's not up to her to decide what you should or shouldn't feel. By providing this information, you are now starting the conversation about what happened for you without pointing fingers at her. If she handles it poorly, I think the next step is, yes, you should be looking for another job. In the meantime, you probably want to look for another job anyway because abuse is never okay. Once you drop that bomb on your boss, though, you should probably not just let it lie there. Certainly give him an opportunity to respond. Right. But give him an opportunity to say, hey, here's how I would actually do well. Here's what actually works better for me. Right. So I can be an advocate for what experience I want as an employee. Instead of doing this, here's what would be helpful for me. Exactly. Can I share that with you? That's Get great. another yes. Yes. Right? So anytime you can get another yes. And you know, what I really appreciate is if you just come to me and say, how do you want this work done? And then share with me the details of that so that I can provide you what you want and you can be successful. Another thing that you can do with that specific scenario is to ask the person to please elaborate on what they actually meant. If they were sincere in in saying, I think you're worthless, I think that's good information to have. It doesn't feel good, but at least you're getting them to make the commitment to that statement. If it was just being said in the heat of the moment, that's something that that individual leader can avoid in the future. So in any case, what you're doing is asking for more of their story to figure out what really is behind it, because if in fact you're able to engage in a healthy conversation, now you can go further to say, this isn't going to work for me in the future. Now, obviously I, I don't think anyone should say it that way, but when you tell the supervisor, this is what works for me to get more from me, the supervisor would be stupid not to do it, right? If it's within that person's capability, uh, there, there's, there are a lot of things that can be said, but ultimately providing a solution is a really good idea if you can get there. On the other side, if you have had these kinds of conversations before, if you have tried other things, if you've had any kind of mediator, whether formal or informal, uh, sit in on some of these conversations and it still hasn't worked, the chances are pretty good that this individual is not going to change and it would probably be in your best interest to find a better position. Even if there aren't a lot of jobs in your area, just continuing the job search can create a sense of hope in yourself so that you can be more resilient in these negative situations. It gives you options, exactly. right? You, you now have options to do what it is you wanna do. And look at this as a great career development opportunity because often, I've seen it personally, I don't know if this is your experience, Scott, but I've seen it often that people end up in leadership positions on accident, but they've never been given any leadership training or they don't know how to manage people. Very true. And so they think they should manage people by telling them what to do. Right. And if they have moved up without any kind of training, they may provide the same kind of leadership they had, which could be just as bad. But they, if they don't know anything better, they're going to keep doing it. So, Nico Ghost, what you can do is look at this as a career development opportunity. Right. That you can practice this process, which is actually going to help you become a leader yourself. The way you handle the little things 
is way to handle the big things. And often we learn how to lead people by learning what we're not going to do from the leaders we've had. So keep it in a journal, right? Keep a journal of things not to do. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. that, that it, it, again, it helps you to reframe the situation. If it is truly abusive and you get more of this down talk, for lack of a better term, where she's insulting you, uh, talking behind your back isn't necessarily something you need to worry about because that's not a reflection on you. Uh, a lot of people may not view it that way all the time, but really that's gossip is a reflection of the person giving it. Mm -hmm. So just don't engage. Don't do the same thing. Stay above that. Well, and we don't want to make any assumptions that this is some garden variety sure. abusive situation. So it could be worse than it actually is. Yeah. And they're just not sharing that with that, us. So that is true. If, if that's the case, you certainly want to Talk to folks that if you have an HR department, there's probably people in HR that you should be talking to. You should also document these things when they happen. And CYA, if it gets bad, you might also want to tell your department of labor in your state right. or in your country or what have you. There's typically a, an organization with the government that's there to help you in these events. And right. what I found is if you don't document those in advance, you don't have any repercussion or standing right. after you get terminated. And if your company has an EAP, an employee assistance, uh, assistance program, program, it's usually a third party who has an 800 number that you can call and they can give you advice. If this is truly an abusive or a hostile work environment situation, they can actually get involved in helping to report it. And they will give you really good advice on how to protect yourself in that process. Hopefully uh, this individual isn't in that kind of a situation, but if it is, if you are, then the chances are you need to get a professional involved as well. I think we covered all the bases on that one, Hope so. Scott. So that brings us to the next question, which is by Mrs. ABF. Would an employer rather see continuous long-term employment in one position or shorter positions six to 12 months in various roles if it was showing professional growth? I know, and here's the backstory, I know that job bouncing is frowned upon. I am a junior in college, an adult learner, so I have a full-time job that I've been in for a year, but my previous jobs were six to nine months in length. I have always moved up in either pay when moving to a new job, company morale, or job description, so of course it made sense. Once I graduate, I will be looking for an HR position, but without the bachelor's degree. I'm not given a second glance, so I'm trying to look for positions that will veer more towards HR when I graduate, so I will have the experience plus a degree everyone wants. But I worry that leaving another job will only make me look worse. Should I stay at my current customer service job until I graduate, or continue the path of trying to move up to do what makes sense for my future goals? That's a mouthful. So yes. there's a lot of components there. There are. Um, so it's the, a great question. Though. I think there's really three things that I'm hearing here. One is, you know, what what do people think of me based on my paper resume? Right. And so really, that's the question she's asking herself. How do I look on paper? Because people aren't giving me a second glance. Well, it might not be the fact that you had a bunch of different jobs. It may be that they never looked at your resume, even though you sent it in. Let's be clear that just having something on paper doesn't make it true and certainly doesn't isn't a good barometer of skill, competency, or what have you. Right. One of the things about a resume that I tell people that I've coached is that it is only a snapshot of the past. It is not the application. Your official application needs to show all of the jobs 
that, that you've had, but your resume is just to give an idea of how you might fit in the role and within the organization. So as far as that's concerned, if you aren't putting everything on your resume, that seems to be okay. Most hiring managers, certainly from my own perspective, as I have been recruiting and, and hiring, I'm not so much worried about what's on the resume. What I'm looking for is those transferable skills or direct skills that will apply to the job for which I'm hiring. And if I think the way the, the grammar is used or whatever it is, the other elements how they may show a fit. Quite frankly, in terms of job bouncing, I wouldn't worry so much about that. We've talked in previous podcasts about it used to be that you would, you know, cradle to grave with one company and now the longest somebody is in, on average, the tenure is about 46 months. Yeah. And it's going down. Yeah. But jumping from job to job isn't what it used to be. It's not as bad of a thing. It's actually more common. So again, I wouldn't worry about that much either. The the third thing that, that I'm seeing is the, the discussion about moving into HR. Having done that myself, I was going for my master's degree in HR. I, I got my certification with both HRCI and SHRM. And all of this, I was struck when the college that I was going to for my master's degree said in their description of the HR master's program that a master's degree in HR would prepare me for an entry-level position. And I thought, why what? am I, yeah, why am I going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get a master's degree to start from scratch. And the reason is many people, whether it's HR or other any departments, other, yeah. a lot of people will hire and promote people based on the way they were hired and promoted. They don't want anyone else to have a faster route to success than what they had. If you're being screened out because you haven't had X number of years of experience plus this degree and that certification, everything else, I would say keep looking for the people who are looking at you, not just what's on your resume or, or yeah. what's after your name. A lot of these programs are really just money makers. University education is about making money. There are a few universities that are truly about education. That is where I would put my effort in terms of my educational pursuits. Yeah. When it comes to a job in HR, I would say get into an HR department at a lower level as soon as you can. Leave the, the customer service job. And I've worked customer service, so if you're really good at that, that can actually help you. Yeah. Get into an HR job as soon as you can and then work your way up while you're getting your degree. They're really going to yeah. tie into that. Well, she's really asking, I, I assume it's a she, Mrs. ABF. I think she's really asking, you know, can I really do this? And so she's questioning her, maybe her confidence and her ability to do that kind of work. And that, so as a mindset, she really needs to decide or ask herself a better question. And that is why HR? Why do, why do you want to be in HR? That's a great question. What is question. it about that that you like? What are you doing now in your customer service role that would translate to HR? How and, can you? And there are many things that would. Totally, because all HR really is is internal customer service. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Well, they should be servicing the employee. Right. That isn't always the case. But, but there are know. people who look at HR that it's a process. It's not about people. I, that, I find that attitude unfortunate, but I understand how they get there because there are a lot of processes involved, especially when we're talking about legal issues and the like and preventing the, the bad things. I understand that there's a lot of process involved in that. But if HR really is your goal, then 
I would say don't hesitate to get into it because there's a lot to like of, about an HR career. Yeah, so don't worry about your tenure, but be prepared for the fact that somebody might ask you that question because they have that mindset. Right. Right. So even though you know that it isn't applicable to you, it could be that somebody's going to ask that question anyway. So you need to back up your answer with confidence and describe how the six to nine months engagements or tenure actually serve to their benefit. Exactly. Uh, so really it's about you being able to pitch that in a different way, positioning it as a strength versus a vulnerability. Right. And the idea, if, if they're coming at this, that your past is a predictor of your future, even in part, then here's where you really work on painting the picture about the way you advance and you advance quickly. But there's also your values that you can speak to when you're talking about the improved morale. Uh, there, there's a whole lot that you can actually apply that jumping from job to job to show that this is going to be a benefit to them. Uh, but Andrew, you, you hit the nail on the head. Your confidence is what's going to convince them, not your resume. So don't lean on your resume, lean on your confidence. Yeah. All right, so numerous improvements asked the question, can I leave some jobs off my resume? And the backstory is I'm applying for roles this coming week and I'm fine tuning my resume. I've job hopped a little bit in the last five years and some roles I've done have very little relevance, if any, to the roles I'm applying for. I also don't want to give my resume walls of text in the form of different jobs and companies and the tasks I completed when they won't help my chances at all, they'll likely just make my interviewer skim over it all the more. Can I leave out some roles? It will look like there are some gaps in my working career though. Could I also leave a note to, to say that for brevity, I've left out certain irrelevant roles? I mean, this is a great question. However, you know, if you're really early in your career, you're not gonna have a lot of established experience. Right. If you're early in your career, I would say leave all that stuff in. I haven't seen a role yet that couldn't be repositioned and, and molded to what I'm seeking. Numerous improvements, it's really important you focus on a future that's inspiring to you. This idea of having noble ambition for a purpose is really important. Then you can align everything you've ever done right. with, your, with your purpose. Exactly. Now, when, if there is something that truly is out of the left field, it doesn't apply to anything. Personally, just as I said uh, with uh, the last question, the resume is not the application. If you're going to leave things out, then leave them out. Because if the gap is going to be important, they're going to ask you about it. And you can say, I spent a couple of years doing something completely different, wasn't my bag, decided to come back to the line that I was going for. But again, speaking with confidence, they're going to accept that on face value. I, I think you're right. You, you don't want to give a wall of text in the form of different jobs. If you do have dissimilar jobs one after the other, certainly there are transferable skills in every one of them that probably apply to what you're applying for now. So that's what you want to list. So that even though the job title may change, the company may change, the idea of the work that you do isn't changing. It's showing a specific trajectory that leads you right to their doorstep. If you need help on this side, uh, we have done, I think, several different uh, podcasts on, you know, finding your why or what have you. Simon Sinek, The Golden Circle, or, or Finding Your Why, or It Starts With Why. Anyway, we'll leave that in the show notes because I think it's critically important to recognize that 
resume, yes, it's part of the process, but you're going to find more traction if you get into the networking side of things. Right. And once you, you start with networking, people are going to know you before they know your resume. And then you're at a distinct advantage that all that stuff that's on paper, that two-dimensional past of yours is less relevant. And they may not even read it at that point. They may like you so much that they hire you based on the way you presented yourself in person. And by speaking to your why, the, the reason why you get up in the morning and do the work that you do, this is going to be far more compelling to a potential employer anyway. If you think about your personal branding, which we've talked about in other podcasts, if you think about creating your own brand and everything you talk about in is in alignment with that, your resume will fall under that line as well. So everything sounds and looks consistent. Um, this is going to serve you a lot better than worrying about whether or not you have a, a really easy to see job trajectory on a resume. The resume is not as important as you think. Yes, it's the thing that they expect to see. If the application process is all done online, which so many of them are, make sure that your cover letter is expressing what that trajectory really means so that then they can look at the resume in its context. Now, with that said, a lot of companies aren't really going that deep. They don't read the cover letter until after the resume anyway. If that's the case, I would say just keep trying. Keep getting out there. Don't worry about the ones that don't call you. Think only about the ones that will and be prepared for those calls. Take a both and strategy. That means hey, yes, I should apply. Yes, I should have a cover letter, but I wouldn't leave it there. Right. Who do I know in the company? Who can I have a conversation with? If this role really fits me well, I want to be in a position to influence that process. And you don't do that over the internet. Yeah. It's impossible to do that. And don't think that it's your resume that sucks when you don't get a response from it. Right. Okay? It could be that company never even looked at your resume. Right. Because their, their automated system didn't pull it up. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the world we live in. So never take that personally. Always look for a person that you can send that document to yeah. and have a conversation with about how you're the perfect fit. That brings us to the next question from the, the pomade prince. P pomade? Pomade. Pomade. Looks French. Uh, 18 and ready to graduate high school. Congratulations. Curious if what I want to do is a viable option. I love this. I mean, even that question makes me want to say yes. Yes. This is the backstory. Like the title implies, I am 18 and soon to be graduating from high school. I have decided not to go to a traditional university, but rather to pursue a trade. I've been interested in auto mechanics for quite a while now and have given it thorough thought that this is something I want to do. However, I have been told that auto mechanics don't get compensated well in my state. Whew, I wonder who's telling them that. I am still keeping auto mechanics in my head because I really want to learn the ins and outs, but what are some of the other trades that pay well, bonus points for demand in Florida? Thanks. Well, it's been a while since I lived in Florida. I can't answer the question what trades would be good I, other than electricians and plumbers always get paid well. I'm not sure I would want to do that kind of work myself. I mean, I do home electrical work, but I don't touch the plumbing. I, I love where this starts and I'm going to encourage you to do what interests you. I know someone who started college. This was a few years back. He started college and his real love was auto mechanics. And he had been rebuilding uh, an Oldsmobile 442 in his garage. He was really interested in doing that. So finally, he dropped out of college. 
he started working in his parents garage fixing cars uh, he had and they lived in a nicer community so he couldn't do it in the driveway it, it was difficult to do yeah. but he did it and eventually he opened up his first shop was he paid extraordinarily well maybe not but the auto mechanics that I've taken my cars to make a decent amount, and they have significant overhead. The, these guys aren't going hungry. But this this guy that I knew years ago, he persevered. He now owns three uh, mechanic shops. Uh, he's doing quite well. He has a number of kids. His his wife is a stay at home mom, and they live in Northern California. Uh, and Which I'm not cheap. talking Eureka <laughs> yeah. or one of the rural areas. Yeah. We're talking San Jose. He can make money there. No, yeah. it's not Florida, but. I believe they drive the same cars in Florida that they do in California. So if that's your passion, I say go for it. I, I would look maybe at a different route for you. And that is validate all of your assumptions. You're assuming that auto mechanics is the way you want to go. You have interest in that. Great. Go talk to as many people as you can that do that kind of work for a living. And you don't want to look for the rule. You want to look for the exception to the rule, meaning... If 80 of them told you that, uh, that nobody can make money in Florida doing this, but there's 20 that say yes, and they are. Talk wow. to them. Talk to the 20 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that actually are doing it, and then ask them how they did it. Right. What are they doing differently than the 80 that you talk to that aren't making yeah. it? Uh, and take lots of notes. This is where networking is going to support your success. Well, not only that, but let's say you're talking to one of those 20, and they're giving you the advice Ask him, could I come for one day and work with you to see what it's like to work in your shop? And not that I, I want to, I'm not asking you for a job. I'm asking you to let me come in and learn from you. Th that is a completely different ask. I don't know a lot of people who say, no, I'm not going to have you come. If, if you're truly interested, they'll know. Mm -hmm. And the likelihood that they could mentor you, people like to help other people success succeed. Wow. So much for that grammar. Yeah. People like helping others succeed. Yes. And so when you give them that opportunity to help you, the chances are pretty good they're going to pick up on it. Well, if it's coming from your heart and you're talking to people about it, they're going to get excited yeah, for you because exactly. you're excited for yourself. Yeah. So, so here's, so just a couple things at 18 that I would highly recommend. One, do something that's in mechanics, even though you're not a mechanic. So you could be a tow truck driver. You could be a shop, you know, guy who, who cleans the cars. You, or, you or, could man or the, the register in the front. Whatever it takes. Just get something one step closer yeah. to that. Great idea. The second thing I would consider, and this isn't for everybody, but I guarantee you that there is a, a military program that you could take advantage of that's going to help you get those mechanical skills and they'll pay you to do it. Now that's if you're interested in getting into the military. That I will say that's not for everybody, but I know a lot of people that have found that to be a really good way to get in. It, now, was, it was actually when I enlisted back in 87, the two professions that they needed the most was corpsman, which is a nurse, which makes sense. You're in the military. People are going to get hurt or they're going to get shot. And you know you need somebody there to patch them up. And the second one was diesel mechanic. And they were offering very large bonuses right. to people who actually signed up for that. In, in a broader sense, for those who are listening who are have a similar question, you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I don't want to go to the university. I want to go into the trades. I would say do it because there is a, a lack 
of people going into the trades right now. So the chances of making money are much higher now than they were 50, 75 years ago when a lot of people were going into the trades because university was not an option for them. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is to think that that's happening again now where university education has become so expensive that fewer and fewer people are actually choosing that. Go into the trades. If there is something that really interests you and I'm, I'm thinking it, it stirs your passions go do for it. it go for it do it yeah and then I don't know if you follow like Mike Rowe on dirty oh, yeah. jobs that yeah, night. Yeah. he does um scholarships for people who want to go into the trades so you might and we'll put this in the show notes you might go to a micro works and they he has a whole bunch of different scholarship programs there he has lists I think of different companies that offer internships or some kind of educational program where hey, they put you through this long program, 18 to 24 months, and you come out and they guarantee you a job right. at the end. Fantastic. I'm telling you, if I had had that kind of talent, I see the benefit if I had gone that way rather than university. Uh, as it is, I got a, a good degree from a good university and actually used my degree for a number of years. Now I'm doing what I'm really passionate about, which probably ties more to my first career of acting than it did to the degree I got. All of this life experience has put me in the position where I am today that I have so much more to offer because of my experience. You are going to be in exactly the same situation if you're following what truly interests you. Whether people say you're going to make money or not, you will find that the worst roadblocks that you'll ever face are the internal ones. What happens inside your own head not what other people say to you. And listen to what they say, but don't take it in as gospel. Right. Right? So it's good to get the advice and sure. and take that in. But, but don't take it personally. Or or don't assume that it's the truth. Right. If it's the truth exactly. for that person. It yeah. may not be the truth for you. Right. Exactly. Great okay. advice. So this is the last question. Uh, it's from Meet Sheriff. Met, Met Sheriff? Anyway. Meet Sheriff. Yeah, so here's the question. I'm 24 and was just passed up for a significant promotion. I don't feel like there is much left for me at this company. What do I do? Here's the backstory. He asked, should I bring this up with the president along with all the things I've accomplished that I believe make me leagues ahead of the other person who received the promotion? I was recently passed up for that from mechanical engineer to engineering manager. For context, I'm 24. Gosh, you have so much in front of you. And have been working in this place for 11 months. The person who instead received the promotion is a year or two ahead of me and has been working for six to eight months longer. Yeah, I think that you were probably passed up for promotion based on seniority rather than skills. And honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that on its face. If the, the president of the company feels that your skills were about even, then I'm going to guess that the criteria for the promotion was the, the tenure. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. If you feel that your work has been superior to those of your colleagues, I, I would find a very gentle way of presenting that because you're going to be, it's going to be a fine line between cockiness and confidence. In this case, I would say, first of all, if you're going to bring it up with the president, you should start out by being grateful for the job that you have and that you look forward to a long career with this mm -hmm. This. Well, uh, as company. well as having the opportunity to interview for this position. Absolutely. And even being considered in the company of people that have more, more tenure, more experience, and, and 
who knows what else. Yes. But I'm, I'm assuming here that you're early in your career. You've been in this company for a short time. You maybe haven't built trust with anybody. Yes, you may have done good work. Yes, you may be highly qualified. And yes, you maybe should have gotten that position, but somebody else had trust. And that takes time. And that right. means getting your hands dirty building relationships with people. Right. So we've been talking so many times about networking. It sounds to me like perhaps some internal networking is in order here, not just with the president, because that might give a different impression. Instead, how can you collaborate with your peers so that you become a leader without the authority? Influence is a, a, a funny thing. It can help you help other people, but it can also help yourself. So you don't want to be too faced about it. You don't want to go in with an ulterior motive. I'm going to help you. And in the back of your head, you're thinking, so I can look good. Just help. The more you are helping other people succeed, the better that makes you look. And that does get noticed over time. Don't forget that you, this might be fresh for you. And responding over reacting is really important to recognize. I found I was in that exact same situation when I came out of college. I was passed over for a management role in our department after the manager left for um, a different role in the company, and I wasn't even considered. And I thought, man, what's there must be something wrong with me, or these people are out to get me. Just recognize that there could be other things going on in your head that you don't want to be out networking right away and building relationships with these people if you're like, well, why did you get it and I didn't? Right. Just check your attitude and maybe find out why without asking why. And having a little patience can help too. Okay, so I'm disappointed. There's nothing wrong with my feeling disappointed for being passed over. But at the same time, how can I do the work that I'm doing right now better? How can I shine more? How can I make sure that the impact I'm having on the company and my coworkers is positive and helping everyone succeed? I'm here to tell you that kind of behavior does get noticed. It may not be the, you know, the top salesperson's bonus type of behavior. It may not get that same kind of notice, but it does help. And when people start to recognize that the, the success has a common thread of this individual, now this individual is being noticed in a different From different light. different people too yeah. could be I, observing that be patient yeah well and that's easy to say hard to do when you're young right yeah uh, so have patience means long suffering so be, be careful yeah. what, what you're thinking about when you think patience uh, the other thing I'd recommend is hey if you want to stay in this organization you probably need to start having strategic conversations on a regular basis with specific stakeholders in the company that you think have the juice to influence your career in the future. Sure. And that's something I overlooked in early on in my career. I was more interested in, gosh, I got to do my, the best job. And not that that isn't important, but I was so focused on doing a good job that I never looked up long right. enough to say, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so over there is doing good work and they seem to have their head on straight and they seem to have influence with leadership. I should build a relationship with that person sure. uh, so that I can ride their coattails up the up the organization. And once again, know? we're talking about networking. Don't underestimate the value of building relationships within your organization outside of your own division or department. If you're becoming friends with people on other teams, you're going to be seen by other teams. There's so much that you can do, and this takes time. Try not to get everything right away. Try to build up to that. Build that sense of trust. You're, you'll find that it's definitely worth the effort. And if you take it from a position of a zero self-interest, and which is super hard to do, right? Because you know you want to get promoted. You know you want to move up in the organization, but people who are self-interested 
never make it quite the same quite the same way yep. and they end up having to step on people to get where they're going right. so you really have to understand what reputation do i want to have in my career and in this organization and you know meet sheriff you want to manage your reputation before any promotion that you would want yep. to have well that's it for today we hope that this has been enlightening for some of you. Uh, we will have show notes and resources available at jobseekersradio.com forward slash 038. We have a free resource for you there. It's called The Anatomy of a Networking Conversation. It's an ebook that uh, Scott and I have put together to help you understand the steps required to be successful at networking. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Job Seekers Radio. Your investment of time and attention are truly appreciated. Head on over to iTunes if you haven't a chance. Uh, there's actually a link in the show notes at the top uh, to head over to iTunes and actually leave us a rate and review. You can subscribe through that as well. Uh, the nice thing about the rate and review is it actually helps us spread this message and bring more people in to give them value. Right. That's really the whole point behind it is to get more exposure for this message to other people. So please share this with somebody that you know or uh, that you think might benefit from the content. And if there's something that you want us to talk about, please leave those uh, comments in there too so we can get back to you. Yeah, because there's no stupid questions. There aren't. Yeah, so ask away. Well, I'm Andrew. And I'm Scott. Until next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.